Welcome to the Engineer Innovation Podcast. This episode, Chad Jackson from Lifecycle Insights is joined by Justin Hodges, an AI expert from Siemens Digital Industry Software. They discuss finding the right role for machine learning in simulation. Can we use machine learning to change the way simulation engineers work? Tune in to discover the possibility in the future of simulation. Welcome everybody to our uh, our podcast today. We're going to be talking about machine learning being applied to simulation. And joining us is Justin Hodges, uh, Sim Center uh, machine learning tech specialist. Thanks for joining, Justin. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk about AI. Good, excellent, excellent. Yeah, there's a lot to lot to cover here. Okay, so to get us started, let's talk a little bit about how these technologies have been used. In this space recently, you know, AI and machine learning, I think mainly have gotten a lot of attention around IoT applications. You know, getting streaming data off of a product, uh, you collect it, you analyze it, you look for anomalies and that type of thing. But, but increasingly, companies and solution providers are applying these technologies to software. So I know, for example, in edX, uh, they're using AI algorithms as a way to predict what you want to use next. Now, today we're going to be talking about simulation and how AI and machine learning can be used there. So, Justin, can you give us a little bit of an orientation? You know, what's that look like when you use machine learning and simulation? Yeah, you brought up a few good examples, and there's certainly an abundant amount of other examples. But some of the really common themes and use cases I can speak to uh, briefly. So, you mentioned recommender systems with NX workflows being automated with some AI-based offerings to what the user would probably do next to automate some of those things. So that can be pretty broadly applied to simulation, kind of irrespective of what you're doing. Usually simulation work requires some prep work, some actual setup, and then some post-processing and things to be done thereafter the simulation's complete. So any of those frequent and redundant type tasks that may be the same from design to design, you know, those processes can be automated. And, you know, ultimately a huge theme for value add our customers are having is how fast pipelines can get done when they do their design work. So automating those sorts of things allows people to be freed up and focus on other things and in some cases can make the processes go faster. So, you know, that's one, I would say, like category of way that AI is being used today and that we're you know, improving what's available. Another would be sort of along the same vein as far as time savings. But in this case, I always see a lot of simulations that are being done, but, you know, some of them can be, you know, pretty simple in terms of the outcome. It could be a smaller correlation that's used. It could be like a different set of equations that are a little bit, you know, filled with some assumptions and that can give relatively good answers. And so some people are using reduced order models as a surrogate to their actual simulation and one class of reduced order models are machine learning based ROMs. So people are actually taking some of their existing data and design work and then uh, compiling that to create like a surrogate or a ROM. And then in that case, it saves the user quite a bit of time so they don't have to do all of the expensive simulation, you know, all of the time because some of those cases can be easily predicted with these machine learning based surrogates. So those are some pretty common applications. Great. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And you touched on another one too. Um, that can come by basically synthesizing different types of data. 
So, you know, in that case, you may have some uh, real-time data or test data being fed back to the engineer to monitor the performance of a given device, which keep in mind could be, you know, quite a bit of data that's disparse and in a really complex system like a jet engine where you may have hundreds of, you know, experimental measurements of temperature and pressure. And, you know, these are complex sort of patterns to relate all of that information in real time to, you know, part safety, individual or the whole system safety, performance, things like that. So there's certainly anomaly detection and I guess you could say like uh, application machine learning in field-based problems as well. And that can be tied back to simulation depending on the problem, but that's where you get into the fun problems where you synthesize different types of data into, you know, some common machine learning framework. So there's a lot of options, but those are some popular ones. All right. So those are three really good applications in terms of, you know, helping you figure out what you want to do next, simplified reduced order models, as well as IoT data. Let's talk about that second one real quick, because that's the one that I hear the most about in the industry, especially with simulation, that you can take reduced order models, apply you know, these algorithms, and then do a lot more with them. So what would you say is the biggest advantage or benefit of applying that kind of approach with machine learning? It's a good question. There's a few, and it kind of depends on the scale of which you're looking through, what lens. But if you go you know, pretty granular to the technical side, if you're doing design work for, say, you know, some aerodynamic component, you may explore a pretty vast space that is all possible designs that you could work with as far as the operating conditions that you would be in or the geometries that you would use. So what ends up happening is you have some finite timeline to arrive at this best design and then also take that best design and explore it under a number of different circumstances to ensure that there's some reliability. So one thing that's super useful to have is if you have some reduced order model that's, you know, at some tolerance that it's acceptable, like it's accurate enough at some percentage, then instead of running simulations for every variation of the geometry, every variation of the operating condition, you know, you can just ping that machine learning based generated ROM or surrogate to simulation, and it can provide you the answer normally in fractions of a second. And then that way, you know, you can focus on coming up with good designs and then, like I said, kind of ensuring there's reliability. But furthermore, I would say it's also not just about time savings, but it's kind of pitch it as two sides to the same coin with time savings. What do you do with that? So the other one could be efficient design exploration. So kind of you can run a first batch of designs or simulations, build some reduced order models, and then use that to explore what you should do next. And essentially, if you keep doing this process uh, throughout your design and simulation work, you should be able to more efficiently arrive at the subspace that you're trying to design that should provide you the best performance. And then you can apply, you know, whatever methods you like that may be legacy or optimization and things like that, whatever tools you're comfortable with, and you can spend more time exploring better designs. That's really interesting. I hadn't quite thought about it that way before. I know that with really big design spaces, I mean, you could certainly could use, you know, gradient-based optimization routines, but you're very likely to run into a local minima or a design that's really good up in one corner, but not, might not be the global best design. So it sounds like in using this approach, you kind of assess a larger aspect of the space. And then you can, when you get into a certain area, then you can use a gradient-based optimization or some other routines. Is that fair? 
Yeah, that's a fair statement. So like, let's say in your team, you know, the expertise and the best practice is optimization with one or two of your, you know, computational flow dynamics codes or something like whatever it is that team does, right? Well, if I'm designing a component, um, you know, oftentimes, maybe in automotive, they have some end stage of a design where they would run it in like an experimental facility or, you know, some sort of very expensive wind tunnel at large at scale, you know, that's a very short window of time that people have to leverage and take advantage of that sort of environment to provide real data to tie back to their simulations. So, you know, for the car example, it's just not possible to explore all the best designs at all the different RPMs, at all the different, you know, fuel economy and gas mileages that you're looking for. So in essence, you have to be very, very decisive and specific with what you simulate and how you populate that greater map. So having a tool that is reliable and accurate enough and can explore that space for you in in real time, basically, you know, it's really invaluable. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you're dealing with highly engineered products. It feels like this would be a really good fit where you have competing or conflicting constraints or requirements you're really going to find the sweet spot uh, where all that fits. Sure. Yeah. And basically some of the best designs, exactly as you put it, may be ruled out due to some of those constraints. Well, you know, if I operate at this high pressure state, well, then that best design now fails or causes some other engineering team to have, you know, non, non-negotiable failures in, say, like the thermal performance of the part, even though that team's focused on aerodynamics. So that's kind of what I was alluding to. You know, you, you throw out those cases or those designs that just don't work under enough wide breadth of conditions. Then you can take, for example, your bread and butter optimization work and focus on those ones that are plausible. And that's where you can see that uh, improvement in the performance in your design by more quickly electing and identifying that space that you should be in for your design. All right. So that's really great, Justin. So as a next step, can you give me an example or two where this has been applied and kind of what a company has realized as a result? Absolutely. A recent example, I guess, is through our some of our consulting teams, and it was for automotive customers. And essentially, one area that is ex- particularly expensive to simulate, which obviously you know slows down the whole process of designing and the pipeline, which is we're always trying to go faster and faster is simulation and design of the thermal comfort for all the passengers inside an automobile, inside the cabin. So in that particular case, I mean, these are very large models. You could get very intricate and model things, you know, outside the cabin and near the hood and things like that to convey, like, you know, how the temperatures would shift. And essentially what we did was we applied some machine learning models that could learn in as few as, I think it was 50 simulations, it could learn, you know, what the temperature would be like at a grid of numerous discrete points throughout the cabin. So that way, you, instead of doing these simulations, you could have an AI model that was quite accurate at just providing this temperature distribution through the cabin, which is basically, you know, what's needed to provide some sort of index on like how comfortable the passengers would be. And in this case, the time savings is pretty incredible. The accuracy for that, I believe, was under 2% for, I think, 75% of the cases, and the training time was on the order of two hours from just 50 simulations. And if you think about all the variables in terms of like, you know, the flow rate of the air conditioning, the positions of the designs of such, the ambient temperatures, temperatures under the hood, I mean, you could easily reach, you know, permutation of 50 possibilities very quickly. So 
Yeah, that's one application that's pretty useful. Cabin comfort modeling with machine learning based surrogates. That was a really good example. I think as a concept, this is kind of appealing. If a company is interested in, you know, taking the next step, maybe trying to figure out if this is the right kind of tool for them, what should they do? What's the what's the next step there? Probably a fair but less glamorous thing to point out up front before truly answering the question is a lot of things are just a practical balance of how quickly a company wants to ramp up such a methodology that they have and you know how much time and resources they have to accomplish it. So we've seen that some customers have the best success in just reaching out to a consulting group that has expertise in that, you know, with the commercial provider. And then basically you can get, you know, walked through hand in hand and sort of like have your environment set up for you. And then that's obviously the fastest route. But whether it's from an educational point of view or research point of view, I mean, I guess I would start out by saying, first, get some basic grasp as to some of these textbook sort of theories. You know, you're not going to crack open a textbook on machine learning and see examples in simulation. So you're going to basically have to take what you learn in a theoretical context and then first get your bearings in that, such as like, what is a neural network? How does it work? Uh, and some basic concepts in statistics, right? And there's a huge evangelization effort in this knowledge and fundamentals, like everywhere on the internet, whether it's free courses like Coursera or, uh, you know, open resources and lectures from universities, there's an overwhelming amount of good information actually on this. So that's a great starting point. And I think once you have your bearings in some of the, you know, tools and processes and terms, I think a good thing to do is look at just open canonical data. So, Whatever environment you're in as far as simulation goes, there's probably some validation cases in literature that are really common, reused, you know, over and over again in literature through time. So maybe get your hands on those and then just have a shot at applying some of the machine learning type fundamental approaches or the simple models that you may learn about first, just to see kind of what that looks like in your industry on how AI could could be applied. And then as, as far as the, you know, well, how do you set your environment up? I mean... One of my favorite resources, just because of the massive dissemination of information that's like within seconds able to be done, is uh, Google Collab. And the limitation there is you have to be very careful because it's not it's not appropriate for anything other than public data, public information. So we're talking about like tutorials or completely open stuff that you know you wouldn't care if other people ran across it. And that's a great environment because you have everything set up, you have the libraries you need. You don't have to worry about installing TensorFlow or any other sort of uh, packages. You know, you just simply create an account like you would a Gmail, log in, and there's plenty of examples online that, you know, walk you through tutorials in Google Collab. So, you know, I would say the final step is kind of just plug in any sort of completely public data into a tool like that and then have a shot through some tutorials. Good. Yeah, yeah. It definitely sounds there. Like you need to ramp up on your skills and knowledge uh, as part of this, especially with these these technologies. Really good advice. Yeah, and it's such a great time to be able to do that because I would say that in 2017, 18, 19, and still now, but really at front there were these few years where you know major advances in the actual principal matter of what algorithms are available, how accurate are they, how do they scale. I mean, to this day, there's advances coming out weekly, but for a while, there was a huge push on that front. And then, you know, as that gained momentum, I think in the last two, three years, you've seen this huge cross-pollination effort where the experts are making those techniques and algorithms and methods more available 
to other industries and people that aren't like a PhD in uh, machine learning or something. And that's this really exciting time we're in where, you know, we have uh, open products and open tools made to be approachable by a non-expert and thus used in industries outside of just say natural language processing or computer vision where uh, things like simulation data is really achievable to be used with those, those platforms. That's excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, Justin, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. This is a, a great discussion. Uh, maybe we can have you on again in the future. Yeah, I would like that. Thanks. Thanks.